Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which features another interview with someone who has some pretty interesting and thought-provoking information to share with Women in the Middle. Today, we're talking about dealing with a cancer diagnosis in midlife. Cancer can be a wake-up call and can dramatically change your life in so many ways. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen this firsthand and have either gone through cancer yourself or have been close to somebody who has. Now, even though so many of us know someone with cancer, until it happens to you or to someone very close to you, you often see that you really don't know that much about cancer. Like most things in life that are hard, it's good to talk more about them. That's why I knew we had to talk about cancer on the Women in the Middle podcast. My guest this week is Sessa Miotovich, a badass life coach who focuses on helping women who've been diagnosed with cancer. She's had her own battle with the big C and it became a catalyst for positive change in her life. Now she wants to help other women use their diagnosis as an opportunity to transform their lives for the better. She's also the host of the Truth and Dare Cancer podcast. At 45, Sessa was diagnosed with uterine cancer, which was unusual for someone her age. She had trouble even believing that her doctor was talking to her when she received the news. Now, as a life coach working with women with cancer, Sessa teaches that having cancer, while extremely dramatic, overwhelming, and paralyzing, it shares a lot in common with other big life changes and can actually be an invitation and opportunity for growth. She talks about all of it, the process of thinking cancer through as both a disease and a concept, doing the important mindset work, dealing with the feelings that come up, including shame and fear, and the gradual transition that many women finally experience of opening up to prioritize themselves and ask for help. She dives into the concept of pursuing cancer from a position of power and how it can be a way to align to who we are at that moment in our life's journey. This is really about setting big intentions for your life and connecting to your truth. Sessa offers some really helpful guidance about what to say and what not to say when you're with someone who has cancer. She also talks about laughter and how it can help you move to the observer position in your life and bring some welcome lightness. Sessa shares why she believes she got more out of her cancer than cancer got out of her, and now she wants to help other women do the same. I hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, Sessa. I'm so glad that you're with us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. I'm so grateful to be here, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. So one of the reasons I was so interested in having you on today is the way that you talk about cancer. It's in a way that is much more empowering uh, than most people talk about it. In fact, one of the things you say is that it's important to give cancer a space in your life 
but don't let it take over your life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is a message that is a bit unusual. Absolutely. You know, it's a very interesting dynamic. And as we go through our conversation today, uh, this will probably make more sense. But dealing with cancer, you know, you go through all different stages. First, you go through the shock, and it really is a shock physically, uh, spiritual, and emotionally to the system. However, once you embrace the diagnosis and you realize that you're not it, you can really use it as a catalyst to completely recalibrate and reshift your life and use cancer essentially for a positive change for going forward. Wow. So what was going on for you in your 40s when you got introduced to cancer in a very personal way? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm going to just uh, uh, walk us through a little bit of a flashback, right? So I was really in a corporate career for over 25 years. And alongside, I was on my spiritual journey. And uh, as part of my spiritual journey, about four or five years ago, I embarked on this uh, life coaching uh, training, which really uh, initially took just as a way to learn new tools on my own personal spiritual journey. And only a week into the training, I had my first client and I knew that this was something that I needed to do. And this is something that um, was my soul's occupation, if you would. So I was coaching and I was... um, alongside doing the really executive career of uh, managing business and technology transformations for Fortune 50 companies. So I had lots of responsibilities. I traveled internationally, managed uh, many different projects, many different clients with several, you know, tens and hundreds of people involved in some cases. And um, I, in parallel, I was transitioning from that work into my life coaching practice. And literally two days before I resigned, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was really informed that I needed to see a specialist, in my case, uh, a GYN, a gynecologist, which I woke up and I knew as a life coach and working with dreams with my clients, I knew I needed to really follow that instruction, literally. I booked an appointment uh, with GYN and after a range of tests and one surgery, four weeks later, I was diagnosed with a uterine cancer. So you didn't have any symptoms? You just had a dream? I did not have any symptoms uh, that were obvious, the only symptom that I had was that I, was, I felt exhausted and a bit more anxious and tired. Uh, like the sleep would not give me enough rest and, you know, eating well and working out, which I really have a healthy lifestyle. I noticed that I was, I was just did not have enough energy, but I was attributing it, you know, getting older, flying all around the world. I just went through a big move uh, a month prior to that dream. So I really didn't take that fatigue as, as a symptom of anything than a busy lifestyle. Wow. How old were you then? I was 45. Wow. And Susie, interestingly enough, I was diagnosed with uh, cancer that typically women in their 60s get. So not only that I went through the cancer journey, but um, that I had to have a second surgery. And uh, as a result of that surgery, 
I was in a induced instant menopause as well. So I had kind of both of journeys in parallel that I went through uh, in, in a period of uh, six, seven months. It was, it was quite intense, but very awakening. And this is why I think on the other side of it, and even during it, it is very important not to identify with it and not to give in to the disease to the point of losing hope and uh, giving your power away and victimizing yourself because we are so much greater than our bodies, essentially. So I'm sure that coming to that conclusion may not have been the first obvious choice when you hear a diagnosis like that, it's probably not that easy to look at it that way at the beginning. It wasn't, but you know, I'll tell you what was the most fascinating thing for me that day. So I literally looked the other way when my doctor said, well, you have cancer. I kind of looked behind me because I almost didn't feel that she was talking to me. And yes, I went to my car and I, I cried, <laughs> obviously, because it's like, you really don't even know how to deal with it. You don't even know what it means. And, it, and one thing that people who don't get this news don't realize is how much we actually, as everyday people, don't know about cancer because we don't have to and it's okay. But it's really that unknown that triggers anxiety and overwhelm. And when you get diagnosed like that, at the, the first time you receive the news, you really don't know anything. You don't know what stage you are. You don't know what grade you are. I mean, like, there is lots of unknown. And then also you really don't know that you're going to embark on a journey of a whole bunch of waiting because it's, you have tests and you wait, then you have a surgery, you wait and so on. But to answer your question, what was the most amazing part of that initial shock was that that evening... I met with my brother and what he said to me was, oh my God, like you're the best person to get this kind of news because all of your coaching experience and all of your spiritual work uh, and you better than anybody else can go through this journey. And the minute he said that, I felt like he was holding a mirror for me because I did not dive into my you know, educational background, which is math. I did not dive into my corporate experience and expertise and knowledge. I did not rely on any of that. I instantly went into coaching myself through all of the feelings, you know, which start with anxiety and overwhelm, and then you can move into depression and feel uh, trapped and feel like uh, there, there, there's like no future, like you have no uh, a vision for yourself and for your disease and for the outcome. Really, the best thing that happened to me was actually being trained as a life coach and being a life coach so that I could actually coach myself through the cancer crisis. Yeah, wow. That's amazing that you gave yourself the first gift, which was to find a path that was completely aligned with where you wanted to grow and go as a midlife woman. And then the gift actually was the thing that you needed when you were faced with the crisis that you had. It's really something. The timing it's, and the dream and everything, it's, it's quite a story. It's fascinating. And this is why, I mean, I, I think sharing this story is 
even more important, more, even more important than cancer, sharing the fact that when you follow your heart and when you follow that deeper knowing, that, that knowing that you cannot even put in words, only in hindsight, you'll know that that was exactly what you needed, to your point. Yeah, it's so true. And, and for women in midlife, that message is so important because it's so easy to get stuck in confusion, right? And so one of the prompts that I use with my clients when they say, I don't know, it sounds kind of weird when you're not in confusion, but when you are in confusion, it makes a lot of sense. And it's a very simple question. If somebody says, I don't know, I ask them, well, what if you did know? And all of a sudden, great, I love it. It switches, it's like a little switch. And all of a sudden, you open yourself up to that inner wisdom. And most of the time, you do know. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing that I notice with, uh, with my clients, and now I'm kind of sh- shifting, you know, I'm kind of like swapping a little bit of positions as, as talking as a, uh, as a cancer patient, what my personal experience was, was versus what my experience with the clients is like not knowing and also as women, not readily being comfortable asking for help, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you, you offer like a free consult call, right? For, you, yeah. for, for, yeah. for, your, for your community. I do the same, right? And uh, my previous, before I shifted my practice to fully focus and work with women with cancer, I actually was coaching men and women in how to shift from their corporate jobs that were unfulfilling into their life purpose, into their soul's occupation, or something that was really meaningful and that was really something that they were meant to be doing uh, during their you know, life on this earth. And what I've noticed is, you know, we offer these free calls and these consultations where people can get lots of value, get their questions answered. And we as women, I mean, women don't jump on it. When I coached men, men would be so open to going and, and booking that call, asking questions, and, you know, being much more proactive about getting help than women. The women would hesitate to actually take that step. So oh I just my gosh. to share that there is this, <laughs> That's you fascinating. Know? Yes, yes. Because one thing I've noticed is that um, often these amazing midlife women, they don't know how to prioritize themselves. And I guess actually asking for help is the tip of the iceberg with, with prioritizing yourself finally after 20, 30 years of being in the rat race and having the chaos of family life and really working on your career and paying down your mortgage and everything else. Finally, as a midlife woman, you do have a little bit more wiggle room to finally prioritize yourself. And, you know, it's unfortunate when something like cancer forces the envelope, but that's a very interesting observation about men and women. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, the other thing is with, uh, with, with women that I noticed is like being comfortable with not knowing and just seeking out that new knowledge, that new knowledge. I guess because... I'm not even comfortable thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Case in point, you know? And I think because, I think it's uh, your comments are valid because, and I, you know, and then we can go back to, I know we kind of got 
got sidetracked a little bit, but I think it's valuable dialogue uh, to be had. I, th- I think in a uh, you know, corporate career, there is a lot of problem solving and you're solving issues that are not necessarily personal, but I think it teaches you in how to problem solve and it teaches you how to ask for help. And I can speak for myself because, uh, you know, I worked with mostly with men and we, and we had to resolve lots of technological issues, lots of business strategy issues and so on. But what I see with women who were who more in a role of a, you know, like a nurturer and, you know, taking care of the family and uh, running a household and so on, there is that hesitation. Well, what for, was it like for you? How was it for you to realize you needed to ask for help? In which regard? Well, when you had the cancer diagnosis. I felt immediately when I started coaching myself, I coached myself first to step into my power. Because once, and I don't mean from an ego's perspective, I mean from stepping into that all-knowing, universal wisdom power that we all have, that our essence comes from. Uh, you know, some people would call it soul, some people, depending on what your language is, higher self and so on. Because once we step in that, then we accept and welcome being guided. And once we are being guided, that gives us a support mechanism to know when to ask and to know that it's okay. Did you have any resistance to that? I personally did not. No. But lots of women do. And there is lots of shame associated with having cancer. Tell, uh, yeah, tell women, me more about that. What, what I've seen with the clients I worked with is that women shame themselves and think that they did something wrong on a surface level and then blame themselves for getting cancer because now, and this is all under big air quotes, right? Because now they're becoming a burden to their family. They're becoming a burden to their loved ones. And they continue to beat themselves up in many ways, directly and indirectly, you know, verbally, even with actions and so on. So how do you work with that as a coach? Well, I think that the most important work at the beginning is the mindset shift and dealing with fear, Mm -hmm. right? And of course, those, it's an overlap, right? It's a Venn diagram. It's not like one plus the other. I mean, there is an overlap. But those are the two big areas. And then once they're addressed, then we start the work, which I feel that also women in, in, in the 50s do need to pursue. And I think that you're doing like a phenomenal job with helping them through that is setting this big intention. Like, mm-hmm. what is your intention for your life moving forward? Definitely, right? yeah. And it needs, to be, it needs to be broad. It needs to be big. It needs to be true. It needs to be their own truth. And once you said that, then that becomes a baseline of what we are working with. And the, the, the bigger your own truth is, the more of a life force and desire you can move in yourself. And that life force energy and desire and excitement and curiosity is actually what heals us. Yeah, that's so good because, you know, when you were articulating it that way, the first thing I thought of was so many women in the middle aren't even acknowledging 
that they have the ability to set an intention. It's not even top of mind. It's just going from one thing to the next, never being a priority. Exactly. Yeah. So in a way, cancer can really, like I said before, push the envelope. And you would be surprised how many people want to prematurely give up, right? They see cancer as a burden or as the winner, right? As the carrier of the bad news. One of the things that is so interesting to get your head around is how many people cancer touches. So it's not just the people who have been diagnosed, but I would say most people probably know somebody who is dealing with cancer right now. Yes. I mean, the research shows that in a span of our lifetime, one in three people will be diagnosed with cancer, which means 99 plus people will experience cancer directly or indirectly, either having it or um, their loved one going through the cancer journey. For sure. And there is so much stigma about it. Like people just don't know what to say. What can you do to help, help us know a little bit more about what to say when somebody we really care about is dealing with cancer? That's a great question, Susie, because, you know, we usually don't think about that. So I'm going to start with what not to say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because I think it's, it's also helpful to define. Definitely. Right? So it's like you're a fighter, right? Or because that implies control, but it's that ego control versus you got this from a spiritual standpoint. So you're a fighter or uh, you don't look like you have cancer. Or, oh my God, you're so skinny. Um, <laughs> like things like that, right? Right. So no observations, right? Which is a pretty, it's pretty good advice for anybody in life, you know? <laughs> oh, like with me, oh my God, you're so short. Well, thank you. You have, uh, you have weird teeth. Like what am I supposed to say to that? <laughs> right, right. So no observations. I, if I have to sum it up, right? But I, and I'm glad that you extended it because it's so true, right? But I would say just relating to the, how you feel, right? Because that you know. You don't know how the other person is feeling necessarily, but you know how you feel. So you can say something along the lines, oh, I'm sorry uh, you, you're going through this. And then immediately what I would suggest because, uh, is to say something, I have no words, if you don't know what to say next. Mm-hmm. But if you know what to say next, that which I'm going to suggest a couple of things is... You know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. How can I help? Or how can I best support you? Or what is the one thing I can do for you right now? Oh, that's, and, so, that's so specific because for people, for women who aren't comfortable asking for help, and, and I, I can see what you mean. Like, it's very different than saying, well, let me know if there's anything I can do. Like, that's not useful at all. No, because they will not reach out. Mm. Uh, and, what, when, and when you have a specific question, like how can I help or what is the one thing I can do, you are starting a dialogue, meaning you are immediately inviting that person to participate in how you will assist them. And, and in lots of, lots of times, they will not know what they need. So what the question like this does is it invites them to think 
like what I really need. And also, maybe they'll just start ranting. When we just, they, they may just need an ear. They, don't even, they didn't even know that they really needed somebody to hear them out. But you're inviting them to talk. You're inviting them to tell you how they are. And then you're having like a being-to-being conversation. And then you can um, even ask them, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? You know, what, what is bothering you? right now emotionally and physically and so on and you you start that dialogue but the you know one sentences and the observations we should skip those and i would say just be authentic like like if you don't know what to say just say i really don't know what to say like or i have no words and and it's okay because that person understands and that person already feels like people with cancer we already feel i should say most like women (laughs) We already feel bad that we are making other people uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> I'm serious. So, you know, I mean, just, just imagine that, right? So no, by you knowing that the other person knows that you don't know what you're going to say, what you can say, and that they already feel, you know, compassionate towards you that you are uncomfortable, it's okay. Just say, I don't know what to say. Yeah, that's really great. I mean. It's totally okay to feel uncomfortable, but it's not okay not to reach out to people you care about because of your discomfort. I mean, we're grown-ass women, right? So it's okay to understand, get guidance, get an amazing tip like this, and just do it anyway. Yes, absolutely. And you'll feel so good about that friendship and that relationship. I mean, that alone, those five minutes will anchor the relationship and uh, propel it to another level. Yeah. Because it's heart to heart, right? Yeah, I can really see that. So why would you say that you are so passionate about this topic? Because, you know, once you have cancer, you go through a lot of stuff, you don't need to be doing this work. So what is it about this work that has you so uh, connected and fired up? That's a great question, really. I'll say there are a couple of things that, that took place. Uh, one, after my you know, diagnosis and surgery, I was also sent off to do some follow-up genetic testing and, uh, because they were really wondering why did I get this cancer 20 years earlier than most mm. other women. And um, I was diagnosed with a specific uh, Lynch syndrome. So it's a, I'm at an even higher chance of getting colon cancer and a bladder cancer than uterine. And getting those news was really eye-opening, uh, but the news propelled me to a present moment. And it was soon thereafter that I decided, and I was still going through, I had lots of side effects and lots of complications and uh, one more surgery after I got that news. I decided that, actually, I had a realization that cancer was going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. Because once you know, the, uh, once you know that you even have a higher chance of getting cancers than the one you just had, the realization is you cannot undo this realization. You cannot unknow. So hmm. it just puts you in a different position in how you perceive your life and how you prioritize. So when I realized that cancer was going to be part of my life for the rest of my life, um, I said, that's fine. 
I, I, I accept it, but it's going to be on my terms. That was one. The second one, uh, fast forward two months after that, I had complication from a previous surgery. I had a cyst that had to be removed, so I had another surgery. And I had complication from it. And it was a, a big issue with my right eye. And not to go into e- details, but after that, because I was forced to be in, you know, to keep my eyes closed for months and not able to see for months, I had lots of um, spiritual moments and experiences that were really uh, transcendent. And one of the messages I got during that was that there was this sense of obligation and all-knowing that I am meant to be doing this work and to help other women and other people in general, just working with cancer and helping people cope and grow from the experience. That is something because I'm sure a lot of people would just say enough already, let's move on. Yes, um, most people, most people, you know, most, there is kind of like a, you know, how nothing is really black and white. It's kind of like a, it's a spectrum, mm-hmm. but I would say people say that, right? They're just like, okay, I'm done and done. People want to, people some, almost want to be in denial that their disease never happened, right? And then also there are people who put themselves as victims, like disease happened and now my life is over. And they go into really deep depression and don't know how to get out of it. They completely uh, deplete their energy, their aspirations, and their life. Just kind of like they are alive, but they are not living. Hmm. I just know for me that this was super important. And I had really, it was a spiritual awakening for me. And I really do believe that cancer is a spiritual disease. and, And I don't mean religion. You know, yeah, that's a well. Like you think it's a concept, yes. To get your head around that's it's quite unique. I think. I mean, I don't really know anything about cancer, um, but it sounds unique. (laughs) It is, and you don't need to know. You know. So, one thing that you said uh, when we were speaking earlier is you touched on laughter. Can you talk a little bit about laughter and cancer? Absolutely. And um, I know that p- people usually don't put those two words in the same sentence. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is why this conversation needs to be had, because uh, if, we, if we see cancer as a disease, not who we are, I always say, you know, I'm not sick, my body is. That's what I kept saying to myself while I was going through a disease. Then you can separate yourself from it. And laughter is not a laughing matter. <laughs> it's one of those things that immediately brings you to present moment. And by doing that, it puts you in the observer position. So you can see your disease from a completely different angle and you can lighten up from all the stories you've been telling yourself just by simply laughing. So even for my clients and even in my, in my Facebook group, once a week I have a post where we're like, okay, let's, uh, let's just all post funny videos or funny stories or anything that can just bring lightness because that really brings you to a present moment. Can you share a story, a personal story when 
something funny happened during your whole cancer journey? Oh, something funny. Funny how? Something that just cracked you up where you found a lot of humor that helped the situation. I have crack ups all the time, but I can't personally I I don't I haven't been in a situation like this. I'm trying to to think about it. I'm not sure if I can think of a specific situation and if I do I'll obviously share it. But I'll I'll share the the moments with a friend of mine. So it was the most devastating part of my recovery after that third surgery when I had complications with my eye. Um, my eye was the size of the grapefruit. My doctor's words, not mine. They did not literally let me see myself for three days in the hospital. Oh, my God. It was the most devastating experience of my life. Not necessarily because my, my face was fully disfigured. I was freaked out by not being able to see. And as you know, we have binocular vision. So each eye sees about 70, not to be exact, but 72 degrees. So there was probably, and we obviously overlap over our nose, but so I could not see the right side at all. And that was the most um, devastating, like I said, and traumatic experience I had. So I had to go and see doctors uh, after they ruled out the eye stroke and I didn't have a tumor behind my eye. So there were lots of tests. But as a result, I had to go and see ophthalmologists every day for two weeks and then every other day and so on. That put me on the wind down schedule. Well, I couldn't drive. So every day, a friend of mine who is actually a woman in the middle, right? <laughs> so she was between uh, jobs, going to stop her career. She's pursuing her passion. So she had the flexibility in her schedule. So every day she would pick me up and she would actually take me to my doctor's appointment. And I was always so grateful and I always felt like I was inconveniencing her. And she would be like, no, this is like... I mean, like, I love this so much. I'm actually looking forward to taking you to a doctor because what we were doing is like what we called um, carpool therapy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically what was happening was she was driving and I was actually coaching her because she, would be, she was like, what would you like to do? And I was like, I just don't want to talk about myself and I don't want to talk about my disease or my eye or whatever. And she would be like, okay, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do something else. Like, I want to do something that's fun. And she's like, well, what's fun? I was like, well, coaching is fun. Do you need help? And literally, we would have this carpool therapy. And she was like, super excited to come and pick me up every day. And, you know, and I felt like I was helping her. So I stopped feeling bad that she actually had to take time out of her day to take me. And it turned, and, and we had so many good laughs and cries in the car. It was hilarious. So I can't think of a specific moment, but that experience over one month, you know, I saw her almost every day was really incredible. And I, in fact, I told her, I so said, we should really record this because, you know, we will never able to <laughs> be able to repeat this. Like, you know, it was, it was magical actually. But oh, I'll, I'll, I'll just share something else so with good. this eye thing. I just felt that it was amazing and like a week into it, I kept saying it, I have an issue in my eye and I have this, like, I need to have my eye time. So because my, I need to keep my eyes shut, even my left eye started being very fatigued. And then week into it, I realized that it was no longer E-Y-E, that it was capital I, that it was <laughs> I time. It was time for myself and that this I, I, right, was showing me 
how to completely slow down and look inside. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, Sessa, that is something. That really is something. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal experience with your personal crisis of cancer. And I know that there are listeners right now that are pretty excited to hear that you're on this mission to help women this way, to help women with cancer heal themselves. And as you say, recalibrate their lives by using cancer as a powerful catalyst for change. So how can people learn more who want to um, hear more of your interesting perspectives on the whole thing? Well, I would say the best way is to listen to my podcast. It's Truth and Dare Cancer podcast. And it's really good for not only for people who have cancer, but also for anybody who is looking to have um, more meaningful life experience and looking for that change and grounding and purpose in their life. I think that would be uh, a great listen. That's awesome. So Truth and Dare Cancer. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, then you know how to find podcasts. You can look on iTunes and on Spotify. You can check out your favorite podcast apps. And of course, you can find more information about Sessa, her website, her podcast, her free Facebook group, and her free material on my website, which is www.susierosenstein.com. Just look up the podcast episode and it will all be in the show notes. Um, also, if you're interested in working with Sessa, you can get more information there. Is there anything else you wanted to say? It's just been so amazing, you know, just really talking openly and honestly about something that is so difficult for so many amazing women to talk about. I guess we can leave the conversation, cancer or not, I would say be deliberate about healing your body and healing your life. Bam. I don't think I could have said that any better. Sessa, thank you so much. We wish you the best of health and the information and your mission and passion to help other women this way is so needed in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Susie. And thanks for listening. That's it for this episode. I'm sure you'll agree. Sessa helped put a lot of really important perspective around so many aspects of cancer including how to think about it a bit differently. Sessa believes cancer can help recalibrate your life and be a catalyst for change, especially when it comes to why it's so important to think about being intentional about your life. That's pretty much regret-proofing in the nutshell, right? (laughs) I know this topic has so much meaning for so many of you, and I'm so pleased to have been able to introduce you to someone with an interesting experience and perspective to share that can help you with your own thoughts and experience of and about cancer. Okay, and now I have two opportunities for you. First, if you haven't yet, you just gotta join my free private Facebook group. You're cordially invited to continue the conversation we have in the Women in the Middle podcast and hang out with other amazing midlife women. It's a safe little haven. This community has your name all over it. So just head over to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash women in the middle community, or just search on Facebook. Just look up women in the middle community. And one more thing, 
If you want to learn the secret sauce to how to get excited about your life again in your 50s and stop feeling like life is passing you by, then I want to invite you to sign up for a free online workshop called Game on 50, where you will learn the exact steps for how to shake things up, figure out what you want, and unstick yourself to more fulfillment, happiness, and fun in your life. Seriously good stuff. So just go to www.gameon50.com. That's gameon50.com and grab your spot. If you like what you've heard on today's episode, just head over to the Women in the Middle podcast on iTunes and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it and it will help other amazing women find the podcast. Check out the show notes with more information and links at www.susierosenstein.com. Let's do this, ladies, one regret-proofing thought at a time. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.